The following programming is sponsored by the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation. The views expressed do not necessarily reflect the views of this station, its management, or Beasley Media Group. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Positively Pro-Life, a podcast brought to you by the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation. Positively Pro-Life brings you inspirational stories, important legislative updates, and informative interviews as we restore and strengthen a culture of life. I'm Bonnie Finnerty, Education Director at the Federation, and I am joined by my distinguished colleague, Maria Gallagher, our Legislative Director. Hello, Maria. Hello, Bonnie. It's great to be with you today. Great to be with you. And today we have an outstanding guest who has done so much to help those who are hurting from the wound of abortion. Dr. Teresa Burke, the founder of Rachel's Vineyard is here to share her organization's mission and the beautiful restorative work they've been doing worldwide to heal hearts broken by abortion. In addition, Maria will provide information on Planned Parenthood opening a facility in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. But first, we'll start our program with a huge dose of pro-life inspiration. This past Monday, over 5,000 people from all over the state came to Harrisburg for the second annual Pennsylvania March for Life. It was an amazing testament to the momentum of the pro-life movement. There were people of all ages, young moms and dads pushing babies in strollers, holding hands with their toddlers, many, many high school and college students. There were workers who took long lunch breaks, retirees, grandparents, you name it, every age and stage of life, including babies in the womb. And everybody was just so incredibly nice, civil, polite, and exuding nothing but love for life. Now, anyone who's ever gone to a pro-life rally knows that one of the very best parts is the signs. Before the rally in the march, we passed out signs that the Federation had made to anyone who wanted them, and they went like hotcakes. Pro-life, pro-woman, pro-baby was one that was coupled with a beautiful picture of a mom and her baby. Another picture of a different mom and baby said, you are beautiful for you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And a third sign declared, life is a keystone right set against an image of our Keystone State. Every single one of our signs was claimed and displayed with many people saying they wanted to bring them home to use for their life chains or display in their church or for some other purpose. I also loved seeing the homemade signs that people brought. Some were just so simple yet profound. Some were so clever, but every single one was a sincere expression of a deeply held belief that preborn life must be protected. Another phenomenal part of Monday's event were the speakers. Dr. Monique Ruberu, a pro-life OBGYN and past guest on this podcast, gave an inspiring speech about how we pro-lifers are ready to come around anyone involved with an unplanned pregnancy. Kathy Barnett, who ran for the Pennsylvania Senate in the spring primary, gave her compelling story of having been conceived from rape. She credits her grandmother for helping her 11-year-old mother to realize that a baby was something to protect and care for, not discard because of the circumstances surrounding conception. 
And then one of the most outstanding journalists of our time, and also a former guest on Positively Pro-Life, Anne Mickelhenny, who authored the book on Kermit Gosnell and his House of Horrors, gave an 11-minute speech that electrified the crowd. Not only did Anne recall shocking details from the Gosnell grand jury report, but she also provided an addendum to the story. She recently went back to Gosnell's clinic and she found the door open. And what she found inside is proof that the Pennsylvania Department of Health is still not doing its job to protect women. Anne is so sharp and so fired up. You just have to hear her for yourself. We've posted her March for Life speech on our YouTube channel, and we'll link to it in today's show notes. So thanks to all who showed up on Monday. Thanks to all who were there with us in spirit. The pro-life movement is on the right side of history. So let's keep the momentum going for the cause of precious human life in the womb. Maria. Bonnie, thank you so much for that inspirational update. Now we turn to legislation and to the effects of legislation. In a brazen move that runs directly counter to public sentiment in the county, abortion giant Planned Parenthood is once again trying to open an abortion business in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. The county, long known for its sizable Amish population, has valiantly fought to keep the area abortion-free for decades. But according to a report in Lancaster Online, Planned Parenthood has opened a $1.2 million facility in the county, which will offer dangerous chemical abortions starting in 2023. The center has opened for non-abortion services. The facility needs a transfer agreement with a nearby hospital in case of emergency complications when abortions begin. Lancaster County Commissioner Josh Parsons took to Twitter to note that most of the county's citizens will oppose the abortion center because of their pro-life convictions. Any hospital cooperating with them in this mission would be not only acting against the wishes of this majority of citizens, but also acting in opposition to the fundamentals of the Hippocratic Oath, do no harm, Parsons tweeted. I would anticipate any hospital doing so We'll see many people and organizations, including Lancaster County government, reevaluate relationships they have with such an organization. Decades ago, in 1998, local citizens mounted a successful campaign to prevent abortions from being performed in the county. A judge decided in the year 2000 that zoning ordinances banned Planned Parenthood from performing surgical abortions there. According to figures from the PA Department of Health, some 32,123 abortions took place statewide in the year 2020, the latest year for which figures are available. Any expansion of abortion is a tragedy, but it is especially troubling when a county that has been abortion-free becomes an abortion mecca. Lancaster County is known for its scenic farmland, its picturesque covered bridges, and its thriving Amish community. The opening of an abortion facility there would significantly undermine the quality of life and would cast a pall on the county's family-friendly atmosphere. Bonnie. Maria, thank you for the update on that very unfortunate development. We, We hope 
things turn around and abortion doesn't come to Lancaster County. Well, it is my honor to introduce today's guest. Dr. Teresa Burke is the founder of Rachel's Vineyard, the largest post-abortion ministry in the world. Since 1993, Rachel's Vineyard model has spread to 49 states and is in over 80 countries. The Rachel's Vineyard retreat is currently offered in 37 languages with other translations in progress. Dr. Burke has lectured and trained professionals internationally on the subject of post-abortion trauma and healing. Her books include Forbidden Grief, The Unspoken Pain of Abortion with David C. Reardon, and The Contraception of Grief, and Sharing the Heart of Christ with Kevin Burke. Teresa holds an undergraduate degree in English communications with a concentration in social work. She went on to Immaculata University to earn an MA and PhD in counseling psychology. She is a nationally certified psychologist, a certified diplomat of the American Psychotherapy Association, a licensed professional counselor, a board certified clinical psychotherapist, and a diplomat of the American Board of Forensic Counselors. She holds membership in the Society for Catholic Social Scientists and the American Association of Christian Counselors. Teresa is the proud mother of five children. We are delighted to welcome Dr. Teresa Burke to Positively Pro-Life. Thank you, Bonnie. It's great to be with you because I am from Pennsylvania and I've always (laughs) lived here. We're lucky to have you. Definitely. What is Rachel's Vineyard and why was it founded? Rachel's Vineyard is a program for healing after abortion. It was initially founded as a support group model that spanned 15 weeks. And then I adapted it into a weekend retreat, which is sort of like kind of known as a a therapy for the soul because it engages body, mind, spirit, and integrates the psychological and spiritual realities that always accompany trauma. So it allows women, it started for women, and then we opened it to men and spouses and even grandparents and siblings of abortion providers. And we've also had quite a number of um you know, those involved in the abortion industry, the ultrasound, I mentioned abortionists have come and they come for different reasons. And it's a very beautiful thing to have everybody who's been injured in this way, gathering together in a coalition of support. A lot of women say that the inclusion of men has actually restored their faith in men because they see men grieve and they thought that men don't care. They're cold hearted. They never want to talk about it or the relationship ended. And so it's very healing to recognize that the that very deep unspoken grieving that Rachel's Vineyard provides a very safe and non-judgmental place to do that work and process everything that's happened and then integrate that trauma. Because I think even now with Roe versus Wade, what's happening there is it's returned to the States is that the conscience of America and throughout the world has been pricked. And so this thing that was once just considered healthcare, people are going back and we have never been busy. Our hotline is off the hook. Actually in Lancaster County, 
Becky Biter, who runs Undefeated Courage there and runs Rachel's Vineyard Retreats. Becky is thinking come January, she wants to run a retreat every month for English. And she also offers the Spanish because there's such a long wait up a waiting list um, for people wanting to go on. So we're just seeing a huge upsurge since this. And we're getting lots of calls, not only on our hotline, but in our office of people that just need healing. And it, we could say that it really wasn't on their radar until it's in the news all the time. And then the news is triggering. And we see two reactions. We see those grieving and coming for help. And we see those really clamping down in more denial in more hardness of heart, in a in a culture of rage, we could say that even attacking crisis pregnancy centers. That if if we're not safe, you're not safe. And so this vandalism, which is very underreported, is going on across the nation, and it's been going on in other places throughout the world. I, I know when I travel in Europe, they're tar bombed on a weekly basis. The the front store windows of these um, crisis pregnancy centers are are like smashed a lot of vandalism. And so, so we see this um, fight or flight, right? Um, we see a response of trauma. And that's how we have to understand all that rage. It's a response to trauma because that triggers a threat. It feels like a threat, but the threat is really in the body, right? The fight or flight, the physiology of going into a survivor mode, and then people lose all reason. They, they are just trying to survive and defend themselves. And then it, everything becomes extremely irrational, as we can all see very clearly. Doctor, can I ask a, a follow-up question? I'm curious with your extensive background in psychology and counseling, how was it that you came to see that abortion was such a trauma and there was a need for this? Was, was there a certain kind of work you were doing and you were finding patterns or? Well, I was working in a crisis pregnancy center and I'd always been pro-life. And, um, and but one of the key things is when I did my first internship for, um, for you know, psychology, I was invited to uh, lead a support group for women with eating disorders. And that's kind of where I came in and I saw the retaliation against the subject itself as being taboo. And when the subject came up, which I did not bring up in our group, but a woman having nightmares and flashbacks to her abortion was sharing the story about how she had just slit her arm um, and ended up in the psych ward because her husband would call and leave messages on her answering machine where he called her a murderer. So he knew it was the ex-husband. They were in the middle of a divorce and he knew the emotional triggers that would drive her to despair and abortion was one of them. And so that's when she slit her arms and she had just come out of the hospital. Her arms were still bandaged. She tells us this story and it was like a bomb going off in my group. There was one woman that um, said, you know, cursed him out, said, we have a right to control our bodies and to hell to anybody who would try to make me feel bad about abortion or guilty. Abortion's the best thing I ever did and just went on a blue streak of cursing. Another girl got up and left the room. We heard her car screech out of the parking lot. Um, it just led to all these reactions that we now know as trauma. And as it turns out, it was all but two women had histories of abortion and their eating disorders began after that. So when I went to my supervisor, who was a psychiatrist, to tell him about what happened, he leaned in and he said, Teresa, you have no business shaking his finger in my face. You have no business prying into people's abortion. And with any addiction, it's not what you're eating. It's what's eating you. 
you know, it's what's bothering. And, and they had always considered that eating disorders should be treated with the talking cure. So there was no subject that was taboo in our group. We ran the gamut, but abortion, for some reason, um, my supervisor, the psychiatrist seemed really irritated. And all I could think is that he's encouraged it, or he's been involved in one um, because he was so angry that, and I said, I didn't bring it up. You know, Debbie bought it up. She's having nightmares and flashbacks. I think she has post-traumatic stress disorder. He dismissed me immediately with that. He said it's a psychotic reaction caused by her medication. So I was just like, are you kidding me? If that's if that's that reaction, get her off it. It's an adverse reaction. You wouldn't be a psychiatrist and keep doling out the pills. So I thought it was a little outrageous. And then I had another experience later in my supervision. And this is what made me write the book, Forbidden Grief, The Unspoken Pain of Abortion. And um, But after that eating disorder group, I started the first therapeutic support group for healing after abortion, one of them anyway. I, don't, I didn't know of another in America as many years ago. And um, I just grew from there. Uh, but I was going to say about one other experience where, where they said um, I wanted to do a research project on the letdown of nursing mothers after abortion, because I saw a lot of women were having nursing problems, postpartum depression, their baby itself was a trigger. And I really wanted to do some significant research in this area. And my supervisor in that case, a woman said, um, he, she had to stop me that supervising me would contribute to pro-life ideology. And she had an ethical problem with that. And she wouldn't refer me to any of her colleagues because she said they all felt the same way. So I was just really, when someone tells you to stop doing something, it just propelled me all the more. And I developed Rachel's Vineyard in the context of those two main experiences that just said, something's got to be done here. And of course, there wasn't hardly any books back then about any of this. People weren't learning it in school, even in my own training, because I was still a student, I would ask. You know, what do you do if someone has it? And they're like, oh, well, that's an issue for um, a clergyman. And that's like, what does a clergyman know about it? You know, because nobody was speaking about it. So I really, uh, this was so formative and saying there's a need here and I'm going to fill it. And throughout all these years, there's about 500,000 volunteers involved with the work of Rachel's Vineyard. It is all over the world. It was spread by the people whose lives the program changed. So instead of having post-abortion syndrome, I called it the woman at the well syndrome because we're bringing people to the divine physician. And we do that regardless of anyone's faith. After a school shooting, after any devastation, what do you see in the streets? Candlelight vigils. People are going to the author of life to heal the loss of life. Wow. Wow. Well, as, as we've been mentioning, abortion is such a deep, deep wound. Can you give us an idea of how the program helps women to heal and men as, and others? What does the program itself involve? Well, I'm, I mentioned before that it's a, um, it integrates psychological and spiritual. So we use something that I call living scripture meditations, where you enter a scripture story. It's a Judeo-Christian framework. So we have readings from the Old and the New Testament. And then there's rituals to facilitate grief. And I understand why this spread and became so popular um, <laughs> as I learned about brain science as my career moved on. And I did a lot of 
you know, went to a lot of neurology seminars. And what they've learned is that when people speak about their trauma, that their amygdala actually shuts down. I mean, their amygdala lights up. That says danger. That's the threat response that we see in our culture today. And that, um, that the broca's area shuts down so people aren't able to talk about it because some wounds and some traumatic experiences are so completely unspeakable unspeakable not just because of the physiology and the panic and the the sweating and the, even the cramping that i've seen happen women will bend over because as they talk about their abortion they're actually having we call it psychophysiological reenactment they're actually having cramps they become very uncomfortable so the body doesn't feel safe you know, and um, this this is really this really is so important that our program goes in and out of the trauma, and we have lights, soft dim lighting. We have music to calm and soothe. We have meditations where you're leaving your trauma and you're having an experience of a compassionate Jesus through a living scripture where you're there in the scene and he's speaking to you with love. So a lot of people who believe it, um, I know that a lot of people, whether they believe in God or not, because people come who say, we have all the symptoms, but I don't believe in faith for nothing. But um, we know that the experience of being with others and grieving together is helpful in no matter what religious or non-religious context they have. So we've always welcomed people of many faiths and we've had many faiths come. Um, but I think being able to to not speak about the grief and engage in the rituals. Um, so pouring water and cleansing things and reconcile the work of reconciliation. A lot of people know, they say on some level, they know that God or their higher power forgives. But the problem here is they say, but they can't forgive themselves. And so that's the work of grief. And that's also the work of encountering the mercy, mercy, reconciliation, God's expansive love and his intense desire to heal. So all of these exercises, um, they'll, they'll share a bit of their story and then we go into an encounter and then we discuss what people experience. So it's a very experiential program. There's no preaching. There's no teaching. It's an experience of the living God as he's ministering to us in the context of our wounds through the Bible stories. So if I was to um, give you a quick example, it would be one is a blind Bartimaeus. So in that meditation, you're blind and you've been hearing about the miracles. And then we actually reenact the story where the facilitator, Bonnie, if it was you, I'd say, Bonnie, take courage. He's calling you. You'd be invited to say, Jesus, son of David, have pity on me. And then the pastor present would put his hand on your head in the place of Jesus and say, what do you want me to do for you? And then you answer out loud. So it's bringing, that's why we call it a living scripture. We enter the story with our own wounds, with our own longings, with our own fears. And then when people are answering, they're not talking to a therapist and they feel the presence of God because the lights are out. There's music. There's only one candle, the light of God. And um, then we, we would um, just do these different stories, even the woman in adultery and passing around the rock. Is there anyone here to condemn you? No one. I don't condemn you either. So the whole group makes it very safe to explore the wounds and each day in a retreat setting we go deeper and deeper into the grieving process and after this the end of the second day they begin to um 
personalize their baby. They name their babies. They have a, a, a meditation where they meet their child who's whole and happy with Christ. And this, re, this replaces the traumatic image of what they might've seen in the clinic or imagined down the road. And even when we hear stories of um, fetal tissue research, this is traumatic for women just to know or how they would image their child. So it's a way to have a, we have a memorial service and um, where they can grieve. We have bereavement babies. They lay them in a little coffin with all the babies together. They name them. And so there's a lot of sensory based treatment that keeps people grounded. Sensory means I'm pouring water, I'm lighting candles, I'm touching, I'm feeling things, I'm connecting to people, which allows them to stay grounded. Cause a lot of people in therapy would dissociate. They would dissociate, sit there, stare, not be able to speak at all. And so this actually helps people not only get through all their grieving, but transform it. So in, Har in Harrisburg on your march, you had all those voices from Silent No More. You know, many people are called to that kind of witness when they've had the experience of healing that's so deep that releases them from the shame that keeps women silent. And that's really where the silence um, comes in because it's a traumatic thing. It doesn't lend itself to words or public speaking until there's been a deep healing. We've got about three minutes left. What would you say to a woman considering abortion? What would you want her to know? I think that informed consent about what puts a woman at risk for trauma is ambivalence about the decision, any previous history. There's so many women with sexual abuse in their history, and abortion is a traumatic reenactment of that. I've written about this extensively, made another program to help because there's so much sexual abuse that's called Grief to Grace. And um, I would just say, see what your options are and, and slow down because there's tons of data linking this to suicide, suicidal ideation, and at the beginning of drug and alcohol addiction, there isn't one shred of evidence that shows that abortion improves depression or a mental health problem, not one shred, but quite the opposite. If women are in despair, having a child gives them somebody to take care of themselves for you know, so um, I, I love the work of the crisis pregnancy centers. And I think linking someone up to learn what their options are and that helps available, because I really do believe that abortion is an act of desperation. And it's a lot of other people coercing her, pressuring her, pushing her to do what's best for them, not herself. So um, it's letting women look at that and affirming that they would be a good mom no matter what. And it's a lifetime of care and the regrets go a lifetime too. So from what we know, it's just not good medicine. It's not health care. It's trauma and tragedy and a lot of manipulation. And we've got just about a minute left. And how would you say lives have been changed as a result of Rachel's Vineyard? We call it the extreme makeover because people come in and <laughs> they are just so downtrodden. Some women are like even limping and bent over like the bent over woman um, because of the burden that they carry and the body bears the burden. So there can be a lot of health issues along with that. And we just see a great lifting. People look years and years younger. They leave sometimes dancing. They reconcile with spouses on the retreat. We watch miracles and this is why all everyone's a volunteer to be front row to the miracle. And it's profound. The transformation is profound. It's very compelling. And God's faithful because he wants to heal people. And he just invites 
people to come take that risk and reach out to him. He will never invade our boundaries. But if we open our heart and say, I need help in any form during any of the exercises, he moves in swiftly. And we all see this. It's undeniable. Dr. Teresa Burke of Rachel's Vineyard, thank you so much for being on the program today. It's been my joy to be with you guys. And remember, there's always a reason to choose life.